Welcome to On the Bench. This is uh, this is weird. This is not the uh, the normal, or I guess what felt like the normal uh, meet the coach series kind of vibe. Is it weird for everyone to be back on the bench and, and more of a free flowing, uh, ready to go conversation here, guys? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brendan Sano, and that was the uh, the joyful voice of Christopher Knee who joins us. Uh, we got Josh Newberg and Zach Blossing as well. The gang's all here. Good morning, everyone. We have a lot to get to. Uh, specifically, let's see, going down the list here, what we're going to go over today. Uh, we're in a bunch of recruiting news. There are decommitments, there are commitments. We've got a junior day coming up, so that's something we're going to touch on here in the first segment. Uh, we have spring practice coming up on Saturday. We want to talk about that and do a quick preview. Chris and I will probably do something more in-depth, maybe after uh, the first day of, of practice on Saturday. Uh, but we do want to at least kind of touch on that. And uh, let's see. Oh, after the break, we're going to have McKinley Roll. McKinley is a high school coach uh, at Dwyer High School down in South Florida. He's gotten to meet Coach Mike Norvell a few times and, and been at some of his uh, his speeches at coaching clinics and whatnot. So, uh, and he's also the brother of Myron Roll. I think you guys know who Myron is. So McKinley's really thoughtful, and I'm excited to get him on the bench in a little bit. Uh, but first, fellas, let's let's start off. Oh, hoops too, Chris. We'll have hoops too. Uh, but let's let's start off, uh, Josh. We had the Meet the Coaches series. We get to finish that up with Chris Thompson on Wednesday. Uh, what were your thoughts on on just the whole experience? I know you and I were going kind of crazy at the end of it, and and I think we're still uh, still a little like need a little space from each other. It was really enjoyable to sit down and and have these these interviews were set up at good times. Like the coaches, um, we weren't pressed um, with time constraints, and we just. It, the only reason we say it was it was hard was because we're essentially asking eight coaches the same exact questions um, in different trying to be a little bit different. Um, so it kind of felt like Groundhog Day in a way. But it was just a candid look at these hardworking coaches. Um, they pulled the curtain back. Not only did they pull the curtain back, but for a lot of these guys, they introduced themselves to Florida State fans. Um, a lot of these coaches had never coached in the Southeast, never coached in Florida, never coached at Florida State. So a lot of this was was us getting to know them and the fans getting to know them. And I thought that um, for me, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get the questions answered that I thought the fans would want to hear. Chris, you were you were listening to it and giving us input and, and thoughts on it throughout the process. I guess what, what did you think after kind of listening? I know I don't know if you ended up listening to every single one of them, but I know you were giving us thoughts on on different aspects of of the podcast. What was your thought on the series, Chris? I did listen to him. I enjoyed uh-huh. them. I've obviously had the opportunity to meet a lot of these guys and deal with them and see them when I'm out there waiting for recruits. But the thing I liked about the series is that it shows that they kind of all have a common goal, but they're all very unique in their own way. You know, Coach Marv's obviously very impressive, comes off as teacherly. Coach Thompson's a veteran, been around a long time. You know, Kenny's just an endless energy, unbelievable guy that looks like he probably has coffee injected into his veins. You know, Coach Atkins kind of you see why a lot of people were so high on him as a young coach who probably can do great things going forward as a coach. I just think it kind of allowed them to show who and what they are each individually while having a little fun and giving a little input on how they got to where they are and what they intend to do here at FSU. Zach, who was your your favorite interview? And uh, what was your favorite moment of the series? Oh, um, definitely. Favorite interview, actually, surprisingly, was Coach Thompson. I think um, 
you guys, you guys had him open up a little bit, which is which is really cool to see because you you know he's a reserved guy most of the time, you know, pretty serious. But um, he was joking around a little bit, so that was pretty funny. Um, but I would definitely say favorite moment was when you guys were talking about Marcus Woodson's nickname, <laughs> um, and I think you mentioned he went by Lil Wood or something like that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah so that that was that was one of my favorite moments. It definitely made me laugh. Yeah, I didn't realize Josh was making a uh, a phallic joke at the time. I was just trying to move move along. <laughs> but uh, it was fun to see the guys to see the guys open up and to get you know, kind of a, a glimpse behind the curtain. Uh, and I'm appreciative of the access. You know, we we haven't always had that kind of accessibility to be able to to essentially sit down, not in person, but still on the phone with with an assistant coach for 20, 25 minutes at a time, uninterrupted and. Uh, to me, the most interesting thing I think that we saw throughout the entire series, guys, was the journeys that each coach has taken to this point. I know it's something that Josh and I kind of focused a lot of our questioning on, but to me, it was so interesting how uh, how untraditional some of the different journeys were, and you could see like you can go, you can get, arrive at the same place through a variety of ways. Uh, just which is so cool to see in the coach community. Some guys were at junior college, some went long-term GA route. Coach Thompson is a former head coach. Like Guys have taken and, different paths to get to this place. It's interesting. And they're also all at different paths or different points in their journey, right? right. Like Coach mm-hmm. Thompson is at a different point in his than Coach Dillingham is, or even Coach Papuchas. Like we talked about him becoming a coordinator at 32 years old. That was nine years ago, I, I believe nine or 10 years ago. And he said at that point he believed he was going to be a head coach. That's that's all he wanted to do is become a head coach. And he said, you know what? He's like, now I, I don't really think like that. And he's got a family and he's got different. So it's just it, it was cool to hear Kenny Dillingham's philosophy on how and where he, he, he came from and how he got here compared to Coach Thompson and, and vice versa. So um, this is this is the coaching staff at Florida State this season. Um, I think this is going to be a group that sticks together for a while. So <laughs> I don't know if we're going to need to do another meet the coaches series next year, but hopefully we can get these guys back on and, and do something with them next year. I think that's the interesting. One of the interesting dynamics is this is pretty early on in coach Norvell's tenure at Florida state. And yeah, it made a lot of sense when we put in the requests and I believe, uh, I believe Warchant did something similar or is doing something similar as well. So FSU obviously saw this and that's coach Norvell and that's the sports info staff saw this as a good uh, PR opportunity, a good, a good chance to expose their guys to the fan base and allow them to kind of get a glimpse behind the curtain. Do we continue to see that as the season goes on, as the off season goes on, is this access still kind of remain the same? I think that's something that we saw a few questions on in the message board is just how different this was for us. And it was, and, and I think, to me, this kind of shows that we're going to have to start thinking about how we cover this team a little differently because Jimbo Fisher was so very, very closed off, hated assistant coaches talking. Uh, he wanted to be the sole voice. Willie Taggart was a little bit more open in that regard, but but ultimately he wanted everything to to go through him. And, and Coach Norvell said something similar where he wants different questions and and clarifications to go through through him when it comes to injuries, depth chart stuff. But, but he also has said that he believes in – giving his guys, his coaches, a chance to use their platform to learn how to sharpen their skills when it comes to to speaking in public, to talking to the media, because he wants everyone, that's a selling point, right? He wants everyone to be able to move up the ladder as coaches and 
one way to do that is to increase your exposure to have people outside of, of just a core community know about you. Uh, so we'll we'll see where it goes. But that was the interesting part to me was what it kind of signified for Florida State access moving forward. Um, and, and with that in mind, do you guys have anything else on the on the coaching series before I move on? No, nope. keep it oh. moving. All right. Speaking of access, uh, spring practice starts on Saturday. We will have uh, another kind of meet and greet luncheon kind of deal on Friday. Josh, you're coming up, correct? Friday. I wouldn't miss a free lunch for anything. <laughs> so Josh is going to be up. Obviously, Chris and, and Zach will yeah, be here be as up. well. The gang will be all together. But uh, I, I'm coming more so for Saturday, but for I, I, Saturday. I might yeah. as well join you guys for that on Friday since it's available to us. And so. when you say Saturday, that's that's junior day. And we'll get to that in a little yeah. bit. Uh, but it's also the first day of spring practice. So there's going to be a media opportunity on Friday, we're going to get to interview some players, some assistant coaches, I believe, strength and conditioning coach. Josh Storms will uh, will be available. Uh, but just to kind of give you guys a quick rundown on what our coverage, not our plan specifically, but more what how we're going to cover this team during spring because it is a new coaching staff. Most practices, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, 9 a.m., correct, are going to be around then. And then availability interviews, 11.30 noon-ish. Uh, yeah, practice, most practices are nine, scrimmages are ten, a uh, couple scrimmages mixed in there, and obviously the spring game. And the scrimmages will be mostly closed other than a few viewing periods for video early on. Uh, but the rest of the practices, it sounds like, are going to be open to media. Uh, a few of those portions of practice are going to be open to video and photos. I think only three, so probably looking like at a 10, 15-minute window maybe. Uh, and then outside of that, it's going to be – going to be open but just no no video recording there are some limitations on things we can report uh immediately or else we run the risk of, of losing access that's kind of the trade-off uh, that you make here for, for the ability to get context and get ideas on how the program runs so things like injuries depth chart news uh non-participants it's not that we can't report on them necessarily it's that coach norvell wants us to clarify with him at the end of practice he doesn't want it to get out that the kid's on crutches and people start tweeting about it before they can even let the family know. Uh, so I think that's part of it. And they don't want to be a competitive disadvantage during the season when it comes to the depth chart stuff. So, uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on on the coverage we're going to be getting or sorry, the access we're going to be getting and, and the ability to cover this team? And what to me seems like a pretty unique and, and different way that we've had in past years. I appreciate it, especially with the idea that we don't really know who and what this team will be under Mike Norvell and his staff. Obviously, the roster we know a good amount of pieces, but it'll be interesting to see how they are under Norvell. And the fact that we're going to get more of the entire picture instead of just a small snippet of what they'd like us to see and what they allow us to see, you know, with previous staffs, I think that's very important. I think it will help us paint a better picture. I'm fine with the trade-offs. I think that's fair. You know, I truthfully, I don't love reporting an injury when we don't know the specifics of the injury. So the fact that we have to wait for Norvell is a fair trade-off. But there will be times where there's a conflict with that because, you know, we didn't get something answered that we saw. It becomes known before we are able to get an answer. Here we are kind of stuck in the middle. But I welcome it. I'm very appreciative of it. And I'm looking forward to actually covering a program where I'm allowed to cover the program. <laughs> it's a whole new world. Uh, I don't think any of us are – I think we have shown more or less the ability to – to kind of play by the rules and be responsible and how we're reporting things. I think I've only been scolded once or twice in the past few years, which isn't bad. Uh, I don't think anyone in our group is going to get any, any of the access revoked. 
Uh, but if it was Josh, who do you think is the most likely to screw things up for everyone? Zach, you. Chris, or my, me? Okay. Definitely. <laughs> do you want to think about it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Spring storylines. Again, Chris and I are going to go more into the in-depth position preview stuff and, and observations uh, throughout the spring and hopefully this weekend. I don't want to promise that, but that's, I think, something that we're looking at to do in a podcast format. Uh, you can check out on those 24-7 some depth chart projections that I've done so far. Obviously, it's a very uh, one of my favorite words, fluid situation, because it is a new coaching staff. Uh, be interesting to see how guys are moved around. But I want to go around uh, the table here, get your guys' thoughts on a storyline, an aspect, something that you're interested in specifically uh, following this spring. Zachary, young Zach, I will start with you. What's something that you're you're going to be focusing on when you're out there at practice with us? I, I, you know, my thought is like, um, you know, everyone's going to be focused on the QB battle. Obviously, we're going to see who Norvell likes um, early on. But I, I want to see that wide receiver room take shape. I mean, you got guys mm. like Terry, um, Samorian Terry. Um, I think the biggest thing with him is, is, is he can, if, if he can take that next step to be that elite guy who's, um, you know, who's reliable every game. Like I think, you know, he's, he's got a chance to be a high draft choice. I just, I, but after that. Um, you got to look for guys like a Warren Thompson or a Jordan Young to step up, um, you know, in the wake of Keyshawn Helton's injury, who might, which might keep him out, you know, earlier on in, in the fall. So I think those kind of guys are going to need to step up this spring and show that they can be solid pieces to that offense early on. Yeah, I think Jordan Young's a really interesting variable in that wide receiver room. We uh, We heard he... He got the rare black jersey the other day, which would indicate that he's been not only working hard in Torah duty drills, but also doing a lot of the right things off the field and, and also producing really, really good development uh, if that continues to, to unfold that way. Uh, Joshua, your, your uh, storyline that you're interested in. I'm, I'm definitely interested in all the things that Zach said. Um, see if Jordan Young develops as well. But for me, I'm interested to see if Kalen Laybourne can take over as the go-to guy after Cam Akers. It's been a seamless transition from Devontae Freeman to Dalvin Cook to Cam Akers. And now we kind of, for the first time in a, in a while, we really have a lot of question marks at that position. But the question marks with Kalen Laybourne are, I mean, can he stay healthy? Can he keep his grades up? Can he stay out of trouble? Um, and then and then can he be consistent? Um We've seen spurts of Kalen Laborn here and there, and that we know the potential coming out of high school, but it's been so long. Um, that Virginia Tech game, that move that he made, it seems like it's been you know an eternity, and we really don't know what we got in Kalen Laborn moving forward, but he's a very important piece to this team. So I'm eager to see how he does this spring. I think trust is the big thing that I keep writing about with Laborn when, when looking at the preview for the spring josh because we we don't know if we can trust him in the role of being uh rb1 of being a feature back and and mike norvell's always had a, a feature back of sorts uh because he loves running the football i don't know if, if we know because of the injuries because of various suspensions if laborn can be that guy yeah i'm with you that's and that's, we heard we also heard a lot about anthony grant um now that the old staff is gone i mean we can say that there was multiple coaches on that staff that told us off the record that they thought Anthony Grant was the best back in the room. Uh, yeah. That was before his departure from the team. That was when he was a true freshman. And, um, and for context, he, too, that was when Cam Akers was dealing with the bum ankle as well. He wasn't was not quite playing. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, for context. And 
there was coaches in that room that, that thought Anthony Grant should be playing as a true freshman and, and gave them the best chance to win. Now that's, that uh, also seems like it was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> last year he sat out. He was not even a part of the team for really the entire season. He's back. So we're told, you know, and we'll see him on Saturday. We'll see him out on the field. But those are some of the things that I'm looking to learn this spring. And even Jay Sean Corbin, we don't know exactly what FSU has at him yet as he recovers from the hamstring injury, if he's going to be eligible this year. But that's another guy who could be a big part of the run game. But again, uh, we don't know. So th- there's a lot <laughs> at that position as well, where it's kind of, you know, you just raise your, raise your hands in the air and say, I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like this spring. Uh, Christopher, your thoughts on, on either a position group or overall theme that you're going to be uh, keeping an eye on uh, when you're out there at practice this spring. The trenches, you're only as good as you are down there in the dirty muck um, offensive line. I want to see if a guy like Ira Henry, Maurice, if those guys are ready to step up and take the next step. You know, I don't expect to see Dante or Darius out there. They're both still coming off injuries. Those are two big pieces for the line. But there's other pieces I want to see if they're ready to take a next step, give FSU a little reliable depth, even maybe a new starter or two. Um, and then on the other side, you know, defensive line, can they produce a pass rush? Yeah, I, I don't believe in Josh Kando until Josh Kando gives me a reason to believe in him. And with J-Rob, you know, when we went to tour of duty, he wasn't really doing a whole lot. I'm interested to see how much he's able to do in the spring. If he's ready to take that next step, obviously this is his money year, so he needs to do it. And if it's not one of those two guys, who's going to be the next man up? You know, Dennis Briggs is an edge setter, a guy that I think it's pretty clear I like from past podcasts. I want to see if there's another guy that is going to come along and do something, you know, whether it's a Curtis Fear and Quachon Fuller, you know, some of those guys may work inside, outside. I just want to see what is next for them and how FSU with this staff is going to handle essentially a 4-3 front. I'm just happy that your audio is working so beautifully right now. It's refreshing. I want to talk about the quarterbacks real quick. That's the storyline I'm focused on. I know that's low-hanging fruit. Zach dismissed says, oh, I don't want to talk about quarterbacks. We're going to talk about wide receivers. But but all these position groups that we're talking about are extremely important. And, and so much of it, the focus is on the offensive side of the ball because, frankly, it was a position that was under-recruited under Willie Taggart. Uh, quarterback, though, and the lack of development in that room has been concerning. And the big question to me this spring is, I I fully believe that right now FSU is going forward with the idea that it can get something out of James Blackman that he's going to be quarterback one and at least get every opportunity starting this spring to be QB one. They've Mike Norvell has been consistent in saying he's not looking to, to expand on the quarterback room. They like what they have currently. And that was with James Blackman being the the veteran guy of the group and what they have incoming with Chubba Purdy, Tate Rotomaker, Tate's already here this spring. I get this feeling that they think they can get something out of James Blackman. I know some people hear that and are throwing their coffee mugs uh, at the wall right now. But consider this. James Blackman has had six different play callers in his career. Six. He's had three different head coaches, four offensive coordinators, obviously with guys toggling back and forth play calling duties a, a couple times in, under previous regimes. He hasn't had anything that's stable. Now, I know we've talked about this before on the podcast. I would feel much better if FSU did bring someone in to compete with him. But at the same time, uh, Willie Taggart never really fully believed in James Blackman. I can't help but believe that that really impacted James's confidence, his development. Uh, so right now it looks like FSU is investing emotionally in James Blackman and to see what he can do this spring. I, 
what are your guys' thoughts on on that approach? Because it, to me, it seems from the outside looking in that, that that's exactly what they're doing. They're going all in on James right now. I think Blackman's the guy when the spring rolls around, but for yep. James, it comes down to individual development. He needs to be in a better headspace, be able to control his emotions better, be able to ride the ups and downs that come with that position, especially on a football team that's mediocre to bad at some spots on the offense that directly impact him. You know, if, if he can't do that, he's not going to be the guy long term. I said in past podcasts, I think Trevor Purdy's coming in here to try to take his job and you know, if Purdy was here in the spring, I think it would be truly a competition. But I don't view the spring quarterback situation as a whole lot of competition. I view it more as Blackman has a chance to either prove himself and solidify his standing there or to leave that door wide open for somebody to walk in here in the summer and take his job. Yeah, I want to – if I didn't go with the running back topic, I was actually going to go with quarterbacks. But the, what I was going to say was I want to see if Blackman can, can kind of get that – the life back in him. Uh, I remember covering him as a recruit and I remember covering him as a freshman at Florida state. And it was like being around a different person, um, these lot than these last couple of years. So I want to see, you know, is he shook to the point where he can't get his confidence back or is this something Norvell can, can, can bring back out of him this spring. So that's, that's definitely something I'm going to be keeping an eye on as well. I, I think people are kind of flippant sometimes when they can discuss James Blackman being emotional, and he, and he is, and, and the breakdowns, the meltdowns against Clemson, against Arizona State, like those those are inexcusable to the extent, like you can't do that as the quarterback. And, and yeah, if you're concerned about what he can be as a leader moving forward based off of those examples, like I don't blame you. At the same time, understand – 18 years old, he comes in as the freshman quarterback and has to start after DeAndre Francois's injury. After that, Jimbo Fisher basically is checking out on the season. Uh, Randy Sanders and Jimbo are butting heads. They're not getting along very well. So that's his environment as a freshman. Then Willie Taggart comes in. Willie Taggart has basically made it very clear for James Blackman that he didn't believe in James. Even when James came in against NC State, gave the team life, he went back to DeAndre Francois against Notre Dame. We saw what happened at the end of the season there. Uh, then in the offseason, DeAndre's gone. FSU continues to try to recruit uh, a quarterback and, and does so very publicly and and then goes and brings in Alex Hornerbrook and, and tries to create a competition there. And just basically there is nothing stable in James Blackman's entire career. Now, how much of that is on James? How much of that is on the coaches, the adults around him? I don't, I don't know for sure. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, we have to see, to Josh's point, like we have to see what stability around him does and whether that's capable of, of fixing what, what seems broken right now. All right. Um, trying to look at anything else. We'll know about injuries, guys, this spring. Uh, we should be able to get an update on on who's available and who's not. Sometime on Friday, I would imagine, when we do the coach sit down, the, the luncheon. Is it luncheon or luncheon? Luncheon. Uh, luncheon. Luncheon. All right. When we do the luncheon, it's not spelled like that. Uh, and that that's about it. So we'll do more spring preview stuff and, and more in-depth uh, information on the spring coming up in, in the next few days here on the podcast. Uh, Chris, this isn't a hoop specific podcast. Uh, we will do one. I, I think we're planning on what sometime before or after the ACC tournament. Uh, but we do uh, want to. Yeah, <laughs> it's. The, the ball is in someone's court. I don't know if it's in mine, but the ball is in a court. We'll do one when we have time to do one and, and when we can all sit down and do it and it's appropriate. But we do want to give the Hoops team it's just due right now because they're coming off a big win against Notre Dame. That was considered kind of a, a trappish game. Uh, 
Chris, right now it looks like FSU's in in the driver's seat to go ahead and win the their regular season tournament in the ACC. Did you ever foresee that when when the season started? No, I thought they were going to be pretty good. I definitely thought they were going to be better than the media was picking them to be, but I didn't think they'd contend for number one. I thought they were more likely to contend for number three or so. I think they were picked fifth or sixth in the preseason. And the win over Notre Dame, what, what does that essentially do for them in the standings, and what's the rest of the road look like for them in the regular season? Well, they're in first. They have a tiebreaker over Louisville, who they have an equal record to currently in league standings. Uh, they host BC on Saturday for Senior Day, celebrating the career of Trent Farrars, also the one-year contribution of Dominic. Um, and with Trent, you know, it kind of this team is Trent's team. We've talked about that before, and it was clear throughout the season. It was clear last evening. FSU wins, you know, 73-71. Trent hit say put back with 3.8 seconds left to give FSU a win. FSU only led that game for 19 seconds. In all honesty, they stole that game. But, hey, I'll take it all damn day. They beat Notre Dame twice this year by a combined three points. Mike Bray really hates FSU right now. Um, but for FSU, they hold the keys. They come home, haven't lost at home all year, play BC, lower half of the ACC team. They win. They win the conference. It's them, Louisville, Duke, Virginia in that order. A three-way tie with Louisville and Duke. FSU wins. A head-to-head tie with Louisville. FSU wins. It could get real interesting if Virginia beats Louisville, FSU loses, Duke loses, then I think Virginia would win a share of the league title. Very <laughs> weird deal. I'm not going to dive that deep into it. I'm going to let it play out. I expect FSU to win this weekend. I think FSU wins an ACC crown for the first time in school history. Pretty cool achievement for them. Pretty impressive for a team that has some warts, you know, mediocre big men, some trouble with stopping dribble penetration at times, somewhat inconsistent at times offensively where they dig themselves a hole. They just win. I mean, you don't you don't magically win 15 ACC games, even in a year where people would call the league down, even though I think that's an overplayed storyline. You don't win 15 ACC games and 25 games overall and only lose five times without being a damn good basketball team. FSU is on their way to being a two seed in the NCAA tournament. They'll open in Tampa. Then, you know, they'll probably either be in the south or the west by most projections right now. That would mean if they advance to the second weekend, they would either be playing in Houston with Baylor likely as a top seed, or in Los Angeles with Gonzaga as a top seed. There's also an outside chance of them ending up in the East, and most people think San Diego State's going to get the East. If that's the case, they'll end up in New York if they make it to the second round, or I'm sorry, the third round, the second weekend. So, fun times. ACC tournament should be fun. I'm heading that way next week. Looking forward to it. I always enjoy the tournament. Um, I'm looking forward to a supposed down ACC putting on a real good tournament. Um yeah, that's about it. And we're gonna do a hoops. We're gonna do a hoops podcast between the end of the regular season and the ACC tournament. I thought it's sort of disingenuous to just jump into that lake after the Louisville game because people were so high. I'd rather do it when there's a little bit more of a storytelling segment of going from the regular season to the postseason. All right, I, I like it. I, I suggested that we do it the night before the national championship game. Josh Newberg, let me tell you, my friend, if I am in Atlanta for the national championship game. One, my wife's going to be real ticked because I'm pretty sure I'm going to miss Hamilton with her, which I keep missing Hamilton with her. And two, <laughs> whatever, it's the national championship. She'll get over it. We'll have to do a live podcast of Chris getting Leonard Hamilton tattooed on his butt. That's still in play, right? Not very much so. I'm yeah. here for it. Have you, <laughs> have you thought about like 
never mind. We don't need to go into the detail. When it becomes closer to reality, when we're talking about Final Four, we'll we'll start going into the details of the artistic vision. Uh, we'll ask for some mock-ups from our from our listeners. We'll, we'll get it figured out uh, when it gets no, closer I, to that. I have an old. It's either an AP or Getty or you know, have the picture. Photo. You have picked from out those Miami days. I picked it out years ago. It's the one I'm gonna go with if it happens. He has a little here. He's got the glasses. He looks older than he does now, and it's like 25 years ago. It's fantastic. It's how Chris wants to remember him for eternity. This is. Yep. It's, it sounds so degrading for for Ham, but it's not. It's just unfortunate placement. It's it's more of a. Uh, it's a shrine to him. Have you thought about like one cheek, two cheeks? Oh, uh, it would it would be very small. We're hiding that thing as best. Okay. As we can. All right. All right. Moving on. This is going in a bad direction. I blame myself. Recruiting. Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. So much recruiting has happened uh, since the time we started the Meet the Coaches series, and, and a lot of it actually in the last few days. Let's work backwards, and we'll lead into a preview of uh, of Junior Day coming up. That's why Josh is, is going to be up here, and that's why we're going to have all hands on deck with, with Josh and Zach and Chris. Uh, but first, fellas, let's go into there were a pair of decommitments. Uh, let's see. Christopher, do you want to get into the decommitments for us? Sure. I want to. I want to talk about Keyshawn. Uh, I want to well, talk. About well, let, let let Chris do his little like one minute like breakdown thing, and then you can jump in. How about that? Uh, twenty twenty two linebacker Melvin Jordan decommitted on March second. That one was kind of clear. He visited in late January, and it just was clear after that visit that he had committed to a previous staff. He liked Coach Marv. He still liked FSU, but he was very much one foot in, one foot out. So it wasn't really shocking for that one to come along. Keyshawn Spencer kind of falls into the same category. He decommitted the next day, March 3rd, 2021, three-star running back from the Melbourne area, Palm Bay. Um, you know, he he was kind of – he's a guy that loves FSU for FSU, but I don't think him and the staff were exactly on the same page. And it was kind of clear talking to him that he liked FSU still. He would still love to go there, but you could tell – you know, you can tell when a guy, like, for example, who will get to Travis Hunter, he committed – Marcus Woodson was a huge piece of that puzzle. The kid loved Marcus Woodson. The way he talked about it, you knew that he liked FSU and loved the guy he wanted to come play for at FSU. With Keyshawn Spencer, it was kind of the opposite. He liked FSU a great deal, but he clearly wasn't in love with anybody on the staff. And it wasn't like a bad relationship thing. It was just a, we don't have a relationship. I don't know how much they love me. I don't know how much I love them. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, the reason I just I spoke to Keyshawn when he left the uh, Junior Day event and in Tallahassee, his first meeting with the Florida State staff, and I was the one that interviewed him when he came out. And I just remember, you know, he didn't say anything over the top or 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 too straightforward in terms of that he's going to decommit. But I turned around and I think I looked at Chris and I was just like. This kid's not going to, you know, he's not going to stick. This is going to unravel soon. And um, sure enough, it only took a couple weeks. Uh, I take it back. It took about six to eight weeks. But sure enough, uh, Keyshawn Spencer opened it up. I had a chance to speak with him briefly at the Under Armour camp on um, Sunday. And I asked him when he was coming back up. And he kind of like, he was like, oh, I'm coming back up. And I said, do you have a date for spring? And he goes, oh, um, maybe summer. And I said, okay, any plans to visit anywhere else? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to South Carolina for their spring game. And um, that was kind of the first time he had ever mentioned another program. Even when he left campus at Florida State for junior day, he told me he was locked in. He told me he wasn't visiting anywhere else. But it was just something about 
that conversation that when I turned around and looked to Chris, I was just, I just said, you know, some, something's not right here. This this kid's not going to sign with Florida state. And here we are, we're in early March and he's, he's decommitted. And I enjoyed the message board meltdown on that one too, even though you guys kind of laid it out for them. That was a very plausible uh, likelihood that, that the two sides were going to move on. So he was a five foot eight, 175 pound back that this staff had not recruited. He's the 31st best running back in the country in the 457th ranked player overall. Um, I think the staff wanted to see more from him. They wanted to get to know him more and they wanted to see, see more from him in the spring. I don't think that this was initiated by Florida State, but I do think that Keyshawn Spencer just got that vibe from them that that he might be best looking around. All right, easy, easy come, easy go. Uh, FSU does land a commitment, and and Chris touched on it briefly. Zach, I'm going to ask you for your thoughts uh, because you were there uh, over the weekend when he was visiting. That is 2022 athlete. Uh, I guess probably more of a cornerback though. Uh, Travis Hunter Jr. from Sewanee, Georgia. I got a chance to watch him after he committed and watch some of his his tape and really, really dynamic uh, athlete with excellent ball skills and, and very fluid. So, so Zach, uh, what were your thoughts on that on that commitment? I really liked it. Um, you know, Travis Hunter is a guy that really likes FSU just in general. Um, I think he got offered by the old staff in like November. Um, and said that was his dream school when he got offered. So I think he's always liked Florida State. Um, but when, when Marcus Woodson came over from Auburn, um, a guy who he's dealt with um, for, over, he said, over a year now, it just made the perfect situation for him. He came on that visit. Um, it almost seemed like he came in knowing that, you know, um, that he was going to, you know, end up committing to the, to the Seminoles just because it was a two-day visit. You don't see that a lot with 2022 prospects. Um, they really made him a priority. Mike Norvell greeted him at, um, you know, at the front of the Moore Center upon arrival. So he's a guy that they really like as a staff. They think he can also have an impact on some other guys that we'll mention later, like a Jordan Hancock, one of the top DBs in the country, also out of that um, uh, North. He's at North Gwinnett, so it's in the same kind of area. And and you know, I think Connor is going to have a big impact for them uh, in, in that 2022 class. Just you know, to be the guy that's going to um, kind of help shape that class uh, for Norvell and the staff. Did, did guys keep bringing up Marcus Woodson this weekend or was it pretty much Hunter? I, I saw someone on the thread say that Woodson keeps getting brought up. Was, was he someone that a lot of guys were talking about in your interviews with, that you and Chris were doing? Well, they had they had Hunter and also two other DBs on campus, um, you know, and Jordan Hancock and Deshaun Rucker. So they were both dealing with Marcus Woodson. And obviously we asked them about, you know, their mess or, you know, their relationship with him. So yeah, I'm sure that, that, that Woodson was talked about a lot and he's done a great job so far. And and I think, you know, getting guys like a Jordan Hancock on campus is, is proof of that. He's one of the guys that, you know, even, even a Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Ohio state are in on. So I think, uh, it's fair to say that Woodson's done a great job so far uh, getting these kids on campus. How did when talking about Woodson, he, he first and foremost, he called the two of them super tight. He said that Woodson keeps it real. He keeps everything up front. He likes to talk. He's like a best friend. We talk about any and everything, not just football. We talk about attendance, grade, school. We talk about everything. He went on and on. He had about 150 words just about Coach Woodson, about how much he liked him, about how much he stood out. 
The other thing I'll add about Hunter is that I think Hunter's a kid who's got kind of an infectious personality. He's friends with a lot of those kids up in that area that play DB. I think he's going to help FSU some with Jordan Hancock. The two of them went against each other last year. I was told that Hunter was about the only guy that actually got the better of Hancock last year. And then Nylon Green's and that guy up that way. He hasn't been to FSU yet, but they're involved. They've offered. They'd like to get him on campus. He's another guy that Hunter's kind of involved with. But I, I think we've seen with Woodson. He's a relationship-based guy. Sidney Williams was a kid that he had a relationship with. They ended up blocking him up in the class. You know, Hunter's another example of that. Deshaun Rucker spoke very highly of him. They're developing a relationship here. You know, I know Marcus Woodson also spoke to Dion Smoke Bowie, a kid from Bainbridge, very talented DB athlete, one of the better players in South Georgia. He's another guy he's working on developing a relationship. So it's very clear that when Woodson kind of sinks his teeth in, he's all about effort, building a bond. It goes well beyond just football. But ultimately, he wants these guys to help him craft his defensive backroom going forward. Nee, what else do we have from this past weekend uh, real quick? And then because I want to get into junior day and I want to get into Josh's experience at Under Armour camp. But just real quick with, with you and Zach, what else did you guys uh, kind of take away from from the first? I guess that was the first weekend where guys could talk again after the dead period and visit campus. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Hancock, Deshaun Rucker, both mentioned by Zach, are guys that are talented defensive backs. FSU's involved. Rucker's a local guy, but by no stretch is he a slam dunk for FSU. They've got work to do there. But I think FSU's done a good job of building a relationship, getting him on campus. They're working to get him back on campus again during the spring. That's there. Um, a guy I I really liked, I was very impressed by, and obviously would fill a huge need, Terrence Ferguson, TJ Ferguson from uh, middle Georgia. Very, very talented offensive lineman, could play guard, could play tackle. I like that he talked about positionless football on the offensive line, being a jumbo athlete, and kind of finding, finding his role when he gets to a school. Just hearing him talk about Coach Atkins, it's clear that Coach Atkins, you know, hearing a kid like him, Micah Morris, others that we've dealt with here in the last couple of months, Atkins relates with kids, right? It's, it's not a lot of work. It just happens. I think Atkins is very straightforward about, the fact they're not very good up front on the offensive line, the fact he's going to work them really hard, and the fact they want to be better. And I think those things kind of hit home. And Ferguson was impressive to me because he was a deep, thoughtful kid who thought about every word coming out of his mouth and kind of gave answers that just weren't cookie-cutter. They were very much tailored directly to the response of the question. And I, I just appreciate a kid like that. I think a lot of times if a kid's got enough talent and he's got a brain that works in that manner, he's probably going to turn out pretty good. All right, Joshua, you uh, you were in the 407 this weekend. What was the general vibe at the Under Armour camp? It was a different. It was different than you know most of the camps that I've covered for Florida State. Going into these things, um, Florida State's just not in it for the top tier guys right now. Um, we kind of saw a lot of that trending this way with the end of with how the 2020 class finished. Um, so. My idea for this camp was we get a lot of questions on the board about a lot of the top guys, and we're not to the point yet where everybody's narrowed their list to a top 10 or a top five. So there's still a lot of variance there. Where where, where does Florida State fall? Um, I, ta- I talked to – I tried to sit there and listen in or talk to every top recruit there, and there just wasn't a lot of mentions of Florida State. Um, you know, this isn't due to Coach Norvell. This is just due to the. This is where Florida State is, 
in the life cycle of a program. Um, there's ups and there's downs. And right now, Florida State is in a, in a downtrend. We hope that they're coming out of it. Um, but th- this offseason is going to really be about the guys that come to campus. That's who Florida State fans need to focus on. I know we say that all the time. We say watch the visits and, and follow the visits. But this year, more than ever, in particularly, we, we got a lot of guys saying, yeah, I like FSU and, and I'm going to I'm going to visit. But they haven't yet or they don't have a, a date set. And I think that's kind of what what we want to watch. Um, but there has been a good bit of visitors coming and there will be more. We're, I know we're going to preview that in a minute. Junior days this weekend. But as far as the, the camp goes, um, there were some guys that that were very high on Florida State spoke to top two, four, seven wide receiver Christian Leary. Um, he's going to visit this spring. He's going to come for probably the spring game. Jake Slaughter's another one. I think it's it's safe to consider the uh, the Ocala Center a lean at Florida State. Um, West Virginia, Ole Miss, and Arkansas are the main competition there. He's coming up this weekend, but I do not expect him to uh, to make his decision. I think he's still going to make a run to Ole Miss and Arkansas for his spring break in March. So, um, Josh, I have a I have a question real quick for you after the camp. Obviously, sure. every, every year with a cycle, we kind of get a feel for it. In recent years, things have sped up more and more, but that's also led to more and more decommitments. I kind of feel like this year is going counter to that. I feel like there's more kids trying to show more patience, and there's more kids that seem to just kind of enjoy recruiting, like enjoy taking a lot of visits, being involved with a lot of schools, not narrowing it down so much as much as taking it all in. Do you think that in, in dealing with you know some of the best Central Florida, North Florida mm-hmm. prospects this past weekend, hearing them talk, do you think that is the case? And do you also think that that's a if it is the case, is that beneficial for FSU? Because it allows things to play out a little bit and for them to show what they can be on the field. Right, I agree. I definitely think it's beneficial for Florida State because they're in a position right now where they're gonna get a little they're gonna get jolts of momentum at certain points throughout the offseason, like on junior days and spring games and camps. But to really change the narrative and change the direction of the program, these recruits are going to need to see what Florida State's going to do on the field. Nothing's really going to change until the fall for Florida State. So, yes, the more kids that wait this thing out, the better. And I, I have seen a little bit of a trend. It used to be when these official visits started two years ago, when they were able to take spring and summer official visits, it was like the kids that use their official visits in the spring or summer were almost definitely going to make a decision before the fall. They were going to make a decision either in the spring or by August, but they were going to make an early decision. I talked to a lot of kids. Tommy Hill's a good example. Um, Chambray Jackson's another good example. Keanu Coat is another example of kids that have told me, recruits that have told me that they plan to take a visit or two in the spring and then the rest in the in the fall. Or in in Tommy Hill's case, he said he wanted to take his official visits to FSU and and Florida in the summer and then take more visits in the fall and make his decision in December. Um, so it's getting wacky. Everything always kind of ebbs and flows. And right now we're seeing, we're seeing kids at least say that they want to extend their recruitments, but you and I have both seen once the dominoes fall there, there sometimes sends a panic through, through the recruiting ranks and, and more kids start committing early. So we'll have to see how it plays out, but there's a lot of, recruits talking right now that that say that they want to wait until the the fall or even till december all right we uh 
we have to uh, get going here because we have Zachary. Young Zachary has to go to class. He is still a college freshman. <laughs> Hard to believe sometimes. So, Zach, real quick before we let you go, uh, junior day coming up this weekend. What are you looking for and anyone on commit watch for you? Commit watch! Yeah, I'm just saying I'm looking for, once again, um, the staff to show that they, they can, you know, handle having all these kids on campus, showing the, you know, showing the right amount of attention to the to the right guys that, you know, they, they view as priorities in this class. Um, as far as commit watch, I wrote down three names that I, you know, I think um, there's some possibility that they could commit. Um, first off, I'll go with um, Miami offensive line commit Lawrence Seymour. Um, if he makes it up um, from, from Miami Central High School, I think, you know, Florida State, if they, if they want him, they have a good shot at flipping him. I don't think he's a guy that's, you know, like super solid on his commitment to Miami right now. So I think if they show him, you know, a lot of love on the visit, if he likes it up, up here, I, I think, you know, he could be a guy that is a potential flip watch for them. Um, you know, another guy uh, is Dink Jackson. Although Dink, um, in, in my talks with him, you know, remains that he, he will probably make a decision after the summer. I think uh, there's a, there's a chance that um, if this visit goes right um, and, and, you know, how things work with the visit high and all that, if that all comes to fruition, I think, you know, Dink Jackson could, could uh, pledge his services this weekend. Um, and then moving to the next day, I think he's actually coming on Sunday um, is uh, Gadsden County defensive end Daryl Jackson. I think he's a current Tennessee Bulls um, commitment, but I think if he, uh, if Florida State offers him, I think there's a good shot that they can flip him as well, uh, just because he's he's a fan of the program um, and, and his teammate Joshua Farmer is also committed to FSU. So that's going to be one to watch for sure on Sunday, uh, March 8th. All right, Zachary, get to class. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate you guys. All right. See you, dude. All right, uh, Josh, we'll go into a little bit more junior day stuff, but I want to get back to the camp observations that you had. We just had to get Zach. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to get Zach's thoughts before he had to go. So go for it. And then we'll go back to junior day bouncing around. Yeah, these are just some quick hits. And, and like I said, I went out here with the intentions just to try to talk to everybody. These these updates are guys that the board has asked about um, where FSU stands. Um, so I'll just run it down. So like I said, Christian Leary and Jake Slaughter, FSU in good position for both of those guys. Nick Elk, El, Elksness, he's a uh, tight end that just decommitted from Penn State. FSU likes him a lot. Um, I put in a crystal ball for UF. Got to get him on campus. We'll see what happens. But he's probably the top tight end in the state right now. Um, FSU's in it for Tommy Hill. He's a wide receiver DB out of the Orlando area. No rush to decide. Plans to visit Florida State this summer. Um, I feel like Florida State's fading for Bryce Langston. Um, UF and LSU are at the top there. He does say he's going to visit Florida State this summer and has a good relationship with Odell Hagens. Terrian Arnold, uh, the local defensive back, was outstanding at the Under Armour camp. He's definitely a priority for Florida State. He talks very highly of how much the staff um, gives him attention and all that. He'll be at UF this weekend for their junior day. He also wants to visit Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia Tech and FSU, but doesn't have anything on on the schedule right now. Um, Ajay Hall, I think he's a guy that we can essentially take off the board for Florida State. He's told me numerous times that he is not going to uh, attend an in-state school. 
He's also going to make his decision, he says, on March 14th. We'll see how that goes. Um, Mario Williams, outstanding wide receiver from Plant City, did not mention FSU when I sat in on his interview. Um, Keanu Coat, a defensive end from Vero Beach, told me that Coach Papuchas had been texting with him that morning, um, and he hears from them a lot. But he dropped a top nine on Sunday, and FSU was not in that group. Um, They're working on getting him on campus. J.C. Latham, the top offensive tackle in the, in the state, um, does not have FSU in his top group, but does say he'll visit FSU and UF this summer. Uh, it doesn't look good for FSU there. Defensive end, four-star defensive end, Shambri Jackson, uh, gave me a top three of UGA, Alabama, and FSU. He told me that it's in that order, and he intends to visit. He intends to get up to Florida State, hopefully for the spring game is what he said. Um, defensive end, Joshua Farmer, is solid in his commitment to Florida State. Uh, he's going to take trips to Miami and Tennessee this weekend, or no, I'm sorry, not this weekend, this spring. Um, but also he sounded just talking to him. He sounded solid in his commitment. I know there's been some questions there. Brandon Jennings was there. Not exactly the best setting to watch a six foot four, 225 pound middle linebacker, but it, he, he did outstanding. Um, very athletic. Brandon Jennings told me he's locked in. He's excited to get back to campus on March 7th to see the coach's coach. And he has um, been asked to help recruit Elk, Elksness, who is the tight end out of the Jacksonville area. Um, and then the last one, I, I spoke to Corey Collier before I got out of there. And the legacy prospect, high on Florida State's radar, but I feel like FSU is fading for him. He said Clemson is the leader. Ohio State, Alabama, UF also heavily involved. I said, if Clemson's your leader, where would you consider Florida State? And he looked and said, top 10. So it sounds like, you know, there's there's quite a few teams in front of in front of Florida State. If they're going to get back in it for Corey Collier, they're going to need a visit. That's all I got right now, Brendan. That was good stuff. I like it. Informative, thorough, and bite-sized. Okay, Christopher, Josh, yep. let's, let's go into junior day here, what we're looking for. I know Zach did some of the names. Uh, let's go down to, I guess, who we have confirmed right now. Uh, and then I do want to get both your thoughts on, on com- commit watch. Commit watch. So anyone go All ahead right. for it. You want me to give a complete rundown or you want me to just highlight a few guys? Just the highlights. I don't think you have to go down yeah. every single person. But Yeah, they know. could go on Knowles 24-7 anytime and find the list. Just right. give them your so, great Chris Knee rundown. It's such a crutch that I use. <laughs> but I just like to go to Chris for like a minute sample size. He's so freaking good at it. Me, personally, I'm looking forward to running back K1 Powell. He's a kid from Vernon, which is west of Tallahassee in Florida, kind of hidden over near Panama City. Talented running back kid I really like. I went to see him last year. I think he was involved last year. They're still involved here. I'd like to see how the visit goes with him, where he is on their board. You know, I don't really know the answer to those questions yet, but I want to find them out. Miles Campbell, talented tight end that they're after, is another kid I'm looking forward to coming in. Young Zach mentioned Lawrence Seymour to Miami Cootman. Josh mentioned Jake Slaughter, the offensive lineman. They're both guys on the O-line that I'm interested to see how they like this weekend. Slaughter's a guy that's been here a lot, so that's more about continuing to build that relationship, building that bond. Marlon Dean is expecting in. He's a guy that really can play on either side of the line, O-line or D-line. Looking forward to seeing him come in, kind of getting clarity on exactly where FSU likes him at, exactly who's recruiting him. I know Odell has been involved there, so it makes me think D-tackle, but I'd like to learn it from him on campus. Jaden Hood, I don't know if he's still unranked. I know when we put him on this list, he was. He's a linebacker from Aquinas. I think he's a badass. I think he's an excellent football player. 
I'm kind of surprised he's not ranked yet. I think he's a kid that's going to have a huge spring and really blow up nationally. He's got some really good offers already, but I think he's going to quickly see that list grow as the spring rolls around. And then there's a lot of DBs, like always with FSU. Charles Brantley's a guy that's been a fairly regular guy. He's expected back. Dink Jackson's another one that Zach mentioned. Derek Edwards is a kid that loves FSU. He's supposed to be in. Cameron Grays is supposed to come in. Uh, those are all guys we're expecting on Saturday. Also, Barrett Carter, linebacker, is expected on Sunday. He's one of the best linebackers in the country. FSU made his list of, I don't know if it was 8, 10, something like that. This is their chance to see if they're going to make a move and re- remain on that list and be a contender down the stretch, or if they're going to fade and be you know, superseded by better teams currently on the national landscape. Joshua? Sorry, my mic was muted. Um, I really want to see what they're going to do on the defensive line. Um, I know right now we only have two guys, two guys on the list, Marlon and Dean and Daryl Jackson. I'm not overly concerned in Joshua Farmer. Sorry, three. I'm not overly concerned with having guys confirmed early because we know that Odell and some of these guys kind of move in silence at times and they're always willing to uh, bring in a big name guy. So I'm not going to freak out about the confirmed names on the defensive line. But at this point, you know, it's kind of getting, it's kind of getting to crunch time. Like we've been harping about who the next great defensive end is going to be at Florida state. And you got to get these guys on campus if you're going to land them. So, um, and, and defensive tackle, kind of the same thing after, after Marvin Wilson graduates, you know, what's going to, who's going to be the answer there. And I think you just want to, you want to get these guys on campus in bulk. So, I'm I'm going up there. I know what is confirmed, but I sure hope that there's going to be more talent than the, just what's on our confirmed list. The only other name I'll mention is a young man coming in on Monday, so I don't really consider him a junior day visitor per se, mm-hmm. but Caden Salker, talented quarterback, confirmed last night that he's taken several spring visits. That tour visit starts with FSU. He's interested in FSU. He's been communicating with Kenny Dillingham. Kenny went to see him back in January. FSU has not yet offered, I believe, but I think an offer probably comes about when he's on campus. He's a really talented dude. I love his film. Um, you know, Baylor, Arkansas are two that are thought to be pretty high with him early on, obviously both with new coaching situations. So I think the door is a little bit open there, but it's going to take some work. Yeah, and if I was going to put two, I would put two guys on commit watch. Um, one would be Jake Slaughter. The other would be Charles Brantley. I say Jake Slaughter because I think he's very high on Florida State and he's going to be on campus and he's been on campus uh, relatively recently. The only reason I don't think he's going to make this commitment this weekend is because he has those two trips planned during his spring break next week to Ole Miss and Arkansas. But he is very high on Florida State. Maybe they can convince him just to pull the trigger. The other would be Charles Brantley. Um, Kind of the same situation. He's been to Florida State numerous times. Um, Venice High School standout and I uh, saw him at the Under Armour Combine on Sunday. He arrived wearing a Florida State hoodie. So he's repping FSU off the field as well. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he makes it up if he pulls the trigger. All right, gentlemen. I think that's everything for recruiting right now. That was thorough. Anything else you want to add? No, I, I think we're good here. All right. I think we are. That was uh, that was in depth, but I, I we went through a ton of information. So Good work out of both of you. Uh, We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to have an interview 
with McKinley Rowe coming up to get a high school coach's perspective on what he's seen so far from Coach Mike Norvell and his staff. So that'll be informative. Stick with us. We'll have that after the break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. As promised, we have Coach McKinley Roll with us. Uh, as I said earlier on, on the other side, uh, McKinley has a uh, he's a head coach at, at Dwyer High School. He's coached all over the state, uh, junior college level too, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Coach. And obviously, he's uh, he's Myron Roll's brother as well. So, a, a well-informed football mind, uh, Coach Roll. Welcome to On the Bench. How's it going? I'm pretty good. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, grab a seat. Sit down on the bench. Sit with down. Us. Sit down. It's story time on the bench. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, McKinley. So, uh, I want to start off with your perspective. You're at Dwyer High School, so you're in South Florida. You got kind of have an idea of of the temperature of of how how schools down there and how players, how coaches view Florida State. I'm curious to get your thoughts on. I guess uh, what, where is Florida State kind of in the pecking order? How is it viewed? Generally speaking, of course. Uh, among football minds in South Florida right now? Well, I mean, I think FSU, you know, obviously they've had a presence in South Florida for a number of years. Um, I think right now uh, Coach Norvell and the coaching staff, you know, they're trying to establish ties in the area, um, you know, which I think they're doing a pretty good job at. Um, Obviously they had uh, a social uh, down in, you know, Broward County and Palm Beach County, uh, which was, you know, very important as far as making that step. And then, you know, just recently, you know, attending the Nike uh, Coaches Clinic, which is attended by a number of coaches throughout the state, um, you know, especially a lot of staffs in South Florida. You know, we were there, you know, Dwyer, um, St. Thomas Aquinas, Miami Central, uh, I believe Booker T, Carroll City were there. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, Miami Edison was there. Um, a lot of coaching staffs throughout the state were there. And, and I think they did a great job as far as being very receptive, being active, um, being noticeable, um, being approachable. Um, so, you know, that's that's one of the things that I've seen, you know, from Coach Norval and his staff. I mean, um, you know, you just go up to him. He, he's accessible. Um, you know, he wants to talk to you. Um, doors are wide open you know, um, as far as if you want to visit, um, as a coaching staff or just as a coach or bringing players up there. And I, you know, I think that goes a long way, you know, um, towards, you know, um, getting that to that, that opening and, and making play- coaches want to bring players up there. Yeah, for, for like sure. No, recruiting is all about relationships. Well, that, that's what I was going to ask you, McKinley is, is with the relationships, mm-hmm. obviously could, 
Coach Norvell's staff doesn't come in with a ton of Florida ties, and you having mm-hmm. coached all over the state. I mean, I think you know, Wildwood, mm-hmm. which is in Central Florida, the Tampa area, you've been mm-hmm. all over. Uh, yes. How, how is it with South Florida where you're at right now? Is it any different in terms of getting uh, a foothold in or attraction with coaches or players in the area? It seems in the outside looking in that there's, uh, it seems like it takes a little bit longer to get in good with South Florida than maybe other areas of the state. I'm not sure if that's just perception or if that's something that you've actually uh, seen, if that's accurate. McKinley, uh, excuse me. What Brennan's actually trying to say is what's your affiliation with the committee? <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm out of the committee stock. I sold when uncle Luke, uh, angrily tweeted at me 10 times on a Friday evening. I was done. I'm done. It's not worth it. It ain't worth it. Well, man. I, I, I don't want to get into a committee or I don't even know what that is, or what that stands <laughs> for. But, um, from my pers- perspective, um, I, I believe obviously with Miami's location and proximity, um, naturally you have a lot of coaches down here that gravitate towards University of Miami. And, and they also, I think Coach Diaz and his staff do a great job as far as getting out to the schools um, as well. But I, I think FSU has just as good a presence here as well. And I think that was evident as far as a social that I attended in Palm Beach County. You know, you had a lot of coaches that were from Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach that were there. Um, that were present. Um, and then obviously, like I just saw as far as how they were communicating, you know, the coaching staffs um, with the FSU staff, you know, I, I don't think, I, I think they'll be good, but I do think it's an uphill climb. Um, like you mentioned, not having a coach with many Florida ties on the coaching staff. I think that's something that over time, you may not see it in this recruiting class, but the 22, 23 recruiting classes, you'll see it more as they continue to develop those relationships because relationships, you know, is trust built over time, you know, um, obviously with Myron attending FSU and playing there, you know, we had ties, obviously I went to graduate school there. So, you know, I mean, FSU was kind of in my blood, but you know, I, I allow any coaching staff to recruit our players, but FSU will always have, um, just as good or, um, a better opportunity to recruit our, our student athletes than any coaching staff out there. But, you know, it's, it's that building that trust that, and making sure that, you know, we send our kids up there, that they'll be taken care of and treated, you know, equally and given the same opportunity as everyone else. And, and like you said, Coach Norvell has seemed to make himself very visible and you mentioned the open door policy. Uh, I am interested. You've, you've got a chance to attend, I guess, a couple different events now. You mentioned the, the, uh, social, but in addition, uh, mm-hmm. events where Coach Norvell has presented uh, the the mm-hmm. Nike Coaches Clinic. I think he was there. Uh, I think you tweeted out about mm-hmm. the FCA recently too. Mm-hmm. So, so when you've seen Coach Norvell in a group, uh, in a room full of people, where he's kind of you know at the front and center stage, what have you seen from him that's maybe stood out so far? Well, um, to be honest with you guys, you know, I, I've again, I've probably been coaching for about ten years or so. Um, you know. Um, so I, I've, I've been attending a lot of clinics and conferences and et cetera. You know, Coach Norvell was one of the most impressive, um, if not the most impressive speaker that I've seen. Um, his presentation is impressive. You know, his energy, his passion, you can definitely tell, like, he's very committed. Um, he presents himself in the program very well. Um, you know, that energy that you see he comes with, 
you know, I, I, I think FSU is, is going to be, you know, they're, they're definitely on the right path. You know, I think they definitely have the right man in for the job. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, where he takes the program, but they're going to be very successful and very quickly. Um, I just want to know as far as the talent, you know, I, I, once the talent gets in there, I think it's they'll be playing for championships. But even right now, I think that they're going to be uh, pretty competitive. Um, but they're, um, I, I mean, he was the Nike coaches clinic, you know, to learn about their program and kind of the things that he's going to emphasize. You know, I mean, those guys are not only going to be developed on the field, but they're going to be developed as a total student athlete, you know. Um, and that's what's impressive to me. Um, because that's what I try to do with our program. But um, I, I think, man, I'm extremely excited to see what he does. Um, and I was telling my good friend Charles Fishbine, you know, he, you know, Coach Norvell, I mean, don't be surprised if they're knocking on the door very soon, you know, to play for for championships. Why can't uh, Fish be a mutual friend? Why does he got to be your friend? Fish. <laughs> I mean, that's the, I, that's actually how we met each other, right? Like in 2007. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It actually was. Yeah, Fish, Fish is a friend of everyone. He's a friend of everyone. Uh, McKinley, like you said, you went to grad school at Florida State, and your brother played mm-hmm. under Coach Bowden. You were very mm-hmm. close with Jimbo Fisher and multiple mm-hmm. of um, his assistant coaches. You were mm-hmm. close to Willie Taggart in that program. So tell me uh, your initial impressions of Mike Norvell, and some of the similarities and differences to these other staffs that you were around? Um, well, put me on a spot here. Um, they all, they <laughs> all are, are, you know, they all had their differences and things that they emphasize. Um, you know, I thought Coach Fisher, um, you know, obviously, you know, the guys that he had on his staff, you know, James Coley, Eddie Grand, those guys have a presence down here in South Florida. Um, and just throughout the, they're great recruiters. Um, and I think that he was kind of, he was looking for a certain type of athlete that he wanted to develop. Um, I think coach Taggart, um, you know, again, I wasn't as close with coach Taggart as I was with coach Fisher and I'm learning that I'm getting closer with coach Norvell staff, but I thought coach Taggart, you know, you saw the things that he wanted to emphasize. I just, to me personally, um, I just don't know if he was given the time to, so you could see the, the fruits of his labor. I think that um, Coach Norvell is actually going to, not to say that, he, he is going to benefit from, um, you know, kind of tag, you know, some of Coach Taggart's recruits and, mm-hmm. and some of the things that he's trying to do. I think that he's just going to take it to another level because these guys are going to be older. Um, obviously, they're going to be in Coach Norvell's system and the things that he emphasizes. Um, but I thought that uh, Coach Coach Taggart, you know, obviously he had some guys with Florida ties, him being a U- USF, he was able to get that as well. I just don't know. As for the only question mark I would really say, or difference I would say, is Coach Novell staff really doesn't have a guy that you say, hey, this is guy's a Florida recruiter. You know what I mean? Um, so that's my biggest question mark on the staff, and that's something that they're going to have to have to show. But as far as on the field coaching, total development, I think that you know he he. I, I, out of all the staffs that I've seen, I, I'm I'm very impressed with the attention to detail that he has. But when I say he, I'm talking about Coach Norvell has in the development. You know, um, if they can bring in the, the Jimmys and the Joes, you know, the sky's the limit for them. 
you got an up close and personal look at um, the junior college scene. You coached out there mm-hmm. for what was it? Was it two years or just one? Uh, just one year at Garden City. Mm-hmm. So what's your perspective after that? How effective can junior college recruiting be at a program like Florida State? Uh, well, I mean, you're going to have to, it could be very impressive or, you know, um, if you get the right kids and right guys, you know, junior college is tough. It's tough for the players. It's tough for the coaches. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone goes into junior college saying, Hey, I want to graduate from, you know, I want to go to garden city. You know, I want to go to East Mississippi. They're all there for a reason. Correct. They're all there for a reason, but it's a struggle. You know, you have kids that, you know, maybe they didn't get it done in the classroom. Maybe something happened in the programs, the division one programs or whatever program they were at, you know, they got kicked out for, you know, these kids were, you know, the ones that you were always told, Hey man, you know, just get away from us. You know, we don't care what you do, just get away. So, you know, they've always been told that they couldn't do things, you know? So those kids require a certain structure. And I think once they get out of those junior colleges that they can, as long as the program has structure, they'll be successful. You know, mm-hmm. I look at someone like we had Diedrich Mills, you know, he's going to be starting running back for Nebraska. You know, Diedrich mm-hmm. is probably one of the best running backs that I've ever seen. You know, he was at Georgia Tech, got in trouble at Georgia Tech, came to Garden City, was an absolute stud. But he had to get out of Garden City because the, the people there and the things around um, Garden City weren't going to be, you know, they weren't going to help Diedrich get to Nebraska. You know, so now that he's at Nebraska in a different atmosphere and environment, you know, you see him doing well and he'll, he'll be an NFL player. It's just a matter as far as getting out, but if they get the right kids, you know, all those kids want to be at big time programs, you know, Florida state will always be able to get in the door. It's just a matter of selecting the right kid. Does he have the right work ethic? Does he have the right people around him? Does he manage his time? Well, does he work hard? You know what I mean? All of those different things I think will play a part and are important parts of recruiting, you know, um, a lot of times we look at it and we say, all right, this kid runs fast. He jumps high. He passes the eyeball test, you know, but does he have the other things that the thing, the intangibles, you know, mm-hmm. will, does he work hard? Does he shut down? Will he compete for four quarters? You know, how is he going to, when he gets, you know, his first taste of, you know, the female scene, how is he going to go crazy? Is he going to be able to mm-hmm. keep his mind? Is he going to want to go out? in a college town or is he going to you know get to a city and just go crazy all of those things i think play a part in how you see a kid develop you know um that's why you have a lot of kids that they quote unquote are bust because those things people don't see you know um there's a kid right that i know of that was from the ocala area i won't say his name but a kid was has been an absolute star since he was a freshman since he was a freshman in high school you know, you knew he was going to be a power five kid, but the kid never showed up to school. He show up on Friday and play, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he, he's not going to qualify academically, you know, because he does. He, you know, if he did qualify to be eligible, it's because the school gave him grades. But the kid was not going to, you know, he wasn't going to do well because the people around him allowed him to do all the that crazy stuff, smoke, drink you know, do all these different things. But Friday night, oh, he's scoring touchdowns, he's balling, we're we're taking. But those are things that people don't really see, you know. So, uh, you know, I mean, I know I answered that question all the way around, but I'm just trying to tell you the different things that play a part in the kid. Right, it's a complicated A lot of fans look at it as like a quick fix, but there's just so much more to it, like you explained. Correct. 
a lot of times yeah. they wonder, well, how come they haven't just offered all these junior college players? But, you know, mm-hmm. like you just illustrated, that's probably why. Correct. Correct. Kind of going to the other side of the of the spectrum, someone who obviously had the grades to where junior college was never on, on the radar and you never had to worry about him getting in trouble. That's your brother. And obviously Rhodes Scholar <laughs> has done so many great things yeah. in his career, whether mm-hmm. not athletically or post-athletically. Uh, would you mm-hmm. would you be kind enough to like share his recruitment with us, like how how he got to Florida State and and how that all transpired? Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so Myron, you know, he was. I, I, I'll be honest with you. You know, we're two and a half years apart. He he was always. I knew he was going to be special at an early age because he was better than the kids I was playing against. You know, and I was like, golly, you know, this kid is just. And he was just naturally strong. You know, he didn't lift any weights. Our parents didn't allow us to lift weights until we got in high school. But he was just naturally just a strong kid. He was fast. He was big. He was strong. He was smart. But the thing that Myron had was he had a great work ethic. He never had to tell him to do anything. And he also was able to manage his time better than anyone I've ever met in my life. And he kind of knew what he wanted to do at an early age. You know, um, Bob Stoops offered him when he was a freshman. You know, Myron and Rod Woodson were the youngest kids that Bob Stoops has ever offered a scholarship to. Um, he ended up with 83 scholarship offers, and he could have gone anywhere he wanted to. If he showed interest in the school, they would offer him. But, you know, we had a select group. And a lot of things, you know, we, we handled the recruiting process probably different than anyone else. You know, we would go to these different schools, and we would, tr- you know, we would rate them. You know, we had a scale. We put 50 different things down. And we rated them from strength and conditioning coach to, um, you know, does do they have the, something that he wants to study? You know, uh, is it accessible for us to get there from New Jersey uh, or our family possibly coming from the Bahamas, you know, as far as the airports? All of these different things we put in together and we rate the schools after the visit. So, you know, sometimes when you visit a school, everyone is on that emotional high, you know, oh, I want to commit, I want to commit. But you have to kind of take your time and really evaluate things with an objective mindset. So we rated all these schools. And, um, you know, FSU, you know, Coach Lilly, I mean, now I think, where, where is he at? He's at North Carolina now. He just got a job there. Um, you know, he was with the Ram- he was at Georgia and the Rams and Browns and Tennessee. But John Lilly is one of the best recruiters in the country, period. Um, Coach Lilly, I, I, I handled my recruiting process. So I would speak to all the schools that, you know, because he was so focused on school and whatever sport he was playing, he didn't want to handle that. So he was like, hey, you know, can you, can you handle this for me? And I was like, yeah, no problem. So the coaches would call me, and I would talk to him. And any question I had, it'd be 2 in the morning, I would call Coach Lilly, he would pick up the phone. I don't care when I called him, he would pick up the phone. And it was just, you know, we, we just – FSU just out-recruited everyone else. You know, I mean, um, another thing people understand is Myron was actually going to attend the University of Florida with Urban Meyer um, and, you know, C.J. Spiller, Percy Harvin, Tim Tebow, that 2006 recruiting class. And um, he was set to commit to University of Florida. But um, Urban Meyer, he just sounded it was just too good to be true what he was saying. You know, what I mean, we didn't have anything that we could pin and say, hey, he's actually done these things. And we also didn't want to base it. We were like, man, this guy is so good. He may not be at the university of Florida for that long. So we didn't want to base our decision on a head coach either. 
but everything he was saying, it would just sound just too good. And everything was just coming into place too easily, you know? But Urban Meyer kind of broke our trust. And um, after that, you know, University of Florida was out of the picture. And then this came down to uh, Florida State and Oklahoma, who was recruiting him since he was a freshman. And, um, you know, Florida State just outlasted everyone else. And they had the best recruiting pitch. And everything they said, they delivered on. Coach Bowden said if Myron committed, he'd be the first person that he would make an in-home visit to. And that's what he did. You know, everything they said they did, you know, it, it came to fruition. And um, that's why to this day, you know, Myron and, and all of our family is pretty much FSU through and through. What was FSU's score on the, uh, you said, the, what was it, the 1 to 50 scale? Was FSU the yeah. highest of everyone or what was it? Yeah. Yes, FSU scored the highest out of every, you know, out of all of the different components that we had. Yes. And that was, it wasn't just, you know, Myron and myself, you know, it was my mm-hmm. sister-in-law, it was my dad, it was my mom, it was this one. Everyone had a vote and they had the highest. And obviously, you know, our family is very tight knit. Uh, I'm sure you can see that, you know, um, anyone who knows our family knows, you know, if Myron does it, I do it. If I do it, Myron does it. If Whitney does it, I do it. If Marshawn does it, you know, whatever. We're just... That's just how our family is raised, you know. Um, I guess it's the island culture, you know, us being from, you know, our family being from the Bahamas. But, um, yes, FSU, and everyone had that. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just us, you know, that had it. Everyone had FSU being the highest. Mm-hmm. Um, and another funny story about that, too, is University of Texas offered Myron, and my dad wouldn't even let us visit there because my dad was such an Oklahoma fan. <laughs> he would, you know, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, they don't like each other. And we were like, Daddy, we can't, vi-, you know, we can't visit, you know, uh, Texas just to see what's about. He's like, no, 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 you know, Oklahoma, that's it. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, but it, it's crazy, you know, but, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's just one of the fun, many stories um, out there. All right, McKinley, man, um, we appreciate you coming on. It was good catching up. Well, we didn't really catch up at all. Uh, we should do that soon. <laughs> you guys uh, talked about the fish. That's what you did. Yeah, well, we got to do that more in depth. We can't. We can't really get into all those details on the pod. Um, but McKinley, appreciate your time. I know you're a busy, man. Um, thanks for coming on the bench. Yeah, thanks, dude. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys, for having me. You guys are doing a great job, man. Thank you. All right, McKinley, see ya. There we I go, think- Brandon. I think McKinley will give on the bench uh, 50 out of 50 on the rating system. It's a five-star review as far as I'm concerned. Still out here begging. (laughs) Just please, more five-star reviews. I don't even know if they help, man. They just tell us to ask for them. Do they help? Nope. All right. Don't help me at all. (laughs) Screw it. Don't give us any. That was fun. Uh, That was good perspective. I know we we went off uh, track with – with uh, coach Dorvell and how, uh, how McKinley kind of viewed this staff, but got good insight there. And then I thought this stuff on, on Myron's recruitment was fun as well. So that was a nice way to end a very informative podcast, Josh. If you think about everything we went over today, recruiting spring preview, uh, some of how the staff is viewed by, by a pretty prominent uh, coach in South Florida. This is all good stuff. Yeah. And it had been a week since, or it'd been two weeks since the three of us have really sat down on the bench and, and had a, had a good old-fashioned podcast, and it was Roasty. fun. I enjoyed it. And tomorrow, I'll be heading up to Tallahassee, and then I will see you guys Saturday where we'll actually be on the bench. How exciting.